0: Hey, good morning. My name's Liz. It's great to be with you. I'm part of the staff and on the leadership team, and you are joining us as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been doing deep dives into some of the events that Luke recorded about Jesus' life. He tells the story of Jesus so that our readers can be confident of who Jesus is, And what he's like so that you and I can be confident of who Jesus is and what he's like. And he tells a story so that we can tell the story of Jesus to ourselves and to others, those around us. And today we're jumping into an account of Jesus's life when he encounters a funeral procession, a woman who is off to bury her dead son. And Liana's going to be reading the text for us. Luke chapter 7 verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So in the account that Liana has just read, Jesus has just come from Capernaum, where he has healed the servant of a Roman centurion, and he's travelling with his disciples with a big crowd and entourage of onlookers who were interested in what Jesus was doing, and they are travelling towards this town called Nain. And as they approach Nain, they are they encounter another crowd coming towards them. This time a crowd who are part of a funeral procession. Now funeral processions would have been sizable, significant occasions. Um, you'd have hired professional mourners and musicians to accompany the grieving family and the body uh, to the burial site, which would have been outside of the town, away from where people were living. And typically, funerals happened within 24 hours of a person's death, as, is, as happens and is still the case in many parts of the world today. But you can therefore imagine the rawness, the shock, the grief of the situation that Jesus encounters and Luke graphically paints a picture of the misery of this particular situation. Luke tells us that the funeral is for a young man. We know all too well the sorrow that accompanies the death of a young person. There's nothing more sorrowful than when a parent has to bury their son or daughter. It has a unique tragedy all of its own. And in this situation, not only is he a young man, but he's also an only son. Luke, t- Luke tells us he was the only son of his mother. He was the only child that she'd invested in, that she'd nurtured, that she'd loved, that she'd poured her life into. We're meant to feel the emotional energy in this text and he was her only family we know that because then luke tells us she was a widow the woman had already buried her husband and now she was on her way to have to bury her son and in that moment she's not only losing relationship companionship the son that she loves but she's also losing her financial security stability future women in these times couldn't provide for themselves they were totally dependent on the men in their families to provide for them who's going to care for her who was going to look after her physically financially in this one sentence luke conveys just the sadness and hardship of this occasion death has stripped this woman and robbed her total misery is left with her But death does that, doesn't it? In his very helpful book called Remember Death, Matthew McCulloch, who I don't think is any relation to Andy McCulloch, says this, There's no confining death to the moment at which a life ends. Its effects are everywhere. We know that to be true. And it's into this situation that Jesus sees this widow the day before at Capernaum he's responded to the call of a wealthy influential man and here near Nain he responds Jesus responds to the plight of a poor destitute woman and Luke repeatedly highlights Jesus's care for the marginalized for the poor for women who would have been the unseen of society In fact, this is one of the 27 times that Luke parallels Jesus' response to both male and female. But Luke doesn't say that Jesus saw her. He says, when the Lord saw her, verse 3. And by using this term, Lord, Luke's referring to the deity of Christ. That, in fact, Jesus is God. Lord is the title given to God throughout the scriptures. Yahweh in the Old Testament is a term of reverence, of his sovereignty, of his sacredness. It's the most sacred name of God. So in referring to Jesus as Lord, Luke is saying, Jesus is God. And he sees her, Jesus sees her. Right throughout scripture we see often reference to God seeing people. It was often women. God would see them. He saw those who were invisible. Jesus sees this woman. But it's not just a passing glance or an observation. It's like in that moment, Jesus knew her. He knew what was going on inside of her. He's acquainted with her just like I remember numbers of occasions of seeing my children when they were perhaps doing a school play. And I could see them physically, yes, but I was acquainted. I knew what was going on with them because I knew them so well. And Jesus is like this, but so much more. He sees this woman and he's moved with compassion towards her. He feels for her. His heart is moved to her. This word compassion that Luke uses is in the Greek language and means pity, sympathy, an expression of deep love and feeling. Jesus sees and has compassion and he comes up to her and says, do not weep. Now, I'm guessing it was all in the tone and authority with which he said those words, because to me, To say, do not weep to a woman who's just lost her son and has already buried her husband feels like a a callous thing to do. But Jesus comes to her with love and compassion and kindness, with hope and authority. And he speaks to her, then he comes up to the buyer. He touches the buyer, the passage tells us, and the coffin bearers stand still now a buyer was a coffin type structure probably a bit more than a stretcher might have been a wicker basket or a couch type structure but it would have been open such that you could get close to the body and jesus to moves towards the buyer and he touches it and in doing so he would have um going he would have been going against jewish protocol which would have said that you Uh, became unclean by touching a dead body but he pushes right through that he touches the coffin and he speaks to the young man and as he speaks to the young man blood begins to flow in this young man's body breath comes into his body brain waves start to function color comes into his cheeks his body and his voice start to move such that he sits up and he starts to speak I wonder what he said. And in a final act of compassion, Luke shows us that Jesus gives back the young man to the mother, to the widow. And in that act of compassion, it's like he's restoring to her a future, her hope, her means, her livelihood, her joy. And the response of the crowd? Well, it's fear. Who could do this? What kind of person can command the death, the dead to life? They call him a prophet. They say God has been amongst us, and news of Jesus begins to spread throughout the area. An incredible encounter with Jesus. So, four things I want to draw out of it for us. And the first is this. Suffering and sorrow originates from sin, because sin is the root of death and destruction. Sin is the root of death and destruction. The situation that Jesus stumbles on is a picture of destruction and death, of suffering, of the sorrow that sin has wreaked havoc in. Of the misery that's been brought into our world you know we live in a world that's been ravaged by sin and the consequences of sin a world that's groaning with pain and loss death is all around us from the flower that blooms and two weeks two weeks later dies to the beautiful shiny car that you might buy but ultimately will end up rusty and on a scrap heap to hear the death of a widow's son that has left her broken and without any hope for the future. But it was never supposed to be like this. When God created the world, he said it was good. And it was only when sin entered through Adam that death was introduced. We can lay the blame for death fully and squarely on sin's door, on sin's shoulders. When sin entered the world through Adam, death entered the world. It's part of our world. We see it on a macro scale, the brokenness of the world that we live in, death of beloved ones. But we see it on a micro scale in our own lives. We all know that sin promises so much, it's so enticing. But its trajectory is destruction. And its destination is always death, death of hope, death of joy, death of peace, death of freedom, death of trust, death of relationship, ultimately death of life. Friends, we need to hate sin. We need to hate sin for what it does in the world. And we need to hate sin for what it does in our own lives. We underestimate its consequences. We underestimate what it does, the power and destruction it has to wreak in our lives. Don't play with sin. Don't entice sin. Don't befriend sin. Beware of its enticement on you. It's crouching at your door, waiting to devour you. Let's call sin for what it is and wage war against it in our lives. Second point, Jesus reveals himself as both powerful and personal. Luke records in verse 3, when the Lord saw her. You know, in just those five words, we get insight to the man of Jesus, that he is both Lord, he is powerful, and he is personal. He saw her. Luke calls Jesus Lord here, but actually Jesus goes on to demonstrate that he is Lord. You know, Genesis recounts the creation story that God spoke and it was. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and it was so. Let the earth sprout, he spoke, and it was so. Now only God can create by speaking, only God can speak and life is formed, only God can command and creation responds. So then we read, Jesus said, verse 14, young man, I say to you, arise. And it was so. Jesus creates life by speaking but only God can create life by speaking. Only God can do that. Luke calls Jesus Lord, but Jesus shows that by his powerful word, he is Lord, he is powerful, but he is also personal. Jesus sees the widow. He sees her, he notices, he cares, He's compassion for the one. He's moved by this single situation. He's moved by the individual, the one in the crowd that maybe nobody else notices. He is all-powerful, but he's intimately personal. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father, a word of intimacy, of personal, of relationship, of being known and known by, speaks of being personal. In heaven speaks of authority, of power, of sovereignty, of rulership. Jesus taught his disciples what God was like. Our Father in heaven, personal and powerful and here he demonstrates he is just the same because he is God. He is both personal and he is powerful. Number three, Jesus reverses the curse. In this single scene we observe the destruction and misery, that sin, that death has the power to dispense, but we also see the hope and the life and the joy uh, the power of Jesus has to restore. Jesus has the power to reverse the curse of death, the curse of sin. The curse of death thought it had the final say in this encounter with this one woman, but we see here that he speaks life into this boy, this man, And in doing so, he restores hope, he restores joy, he restores a future to this individual widow. But in a few short years after this, after this encounter, Jesus would go on to reverse the curse for all mankind by himself becoming the curse and thereby dying upon a cross. That through his death, he might reverse the curse for all mankind, for everyone. Until Jesus' death on the cross, death had only brought misery and pain. But through the death of Christ, life was won. Hope was restored. Joy for resurrection life has been secured. On the cross, Jesus reversed The curse, through Christ's death, resurrection life, was purchased for all. And just as Jesus restores the son to the mother, so too in an eternal age, in resurrection life, will he restore sons to mothers, brothers to sisters, wives to husbands, You know, a couple of weeks ago was Baby Loss Awareness Day. In the eternal age, those who've lost children prematurely will be restored, reunited with those children. Sons and daughters reunited with mothers and fathers. What incredible hope, what joy that it, causes within us a desire for the age to come friends Jesus reversed the curse that through his death we might know resurrection life which leads me to my final point and it's this number four Jesus is to be obeyed not just observed At the end of this account, the crowd do well in observing Jesus. They call him a prophet. They recognise that God has been amongst them. They're fearful of what they've seen, but nowhere do we see that any of them responds to Jesus as their saviour. You know, Jesus doesn't come into the world to model answers to life's questions. He comes to the world to be the answer to life's questions. He doesn't come to show us how to live. Jesus comes into the world to be the reason that we live. He comes into, the wo- into a world that has been ravaged by sin and death to bring life and hope and restoration. <laughs> Just observing that Jesus is God isn't enough. It won't save you. Acknowledging that he was a good man, that he brings joy to others, isn't enough. It won't save you. Jesus said in John 11 verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know jesus calls us to obey him to believe him to trust him not just observe him wherever you are you're invited today to believe in him he said everyone who lives and believes in me will never die you're invited today to put your trust in Jesus. So four points, four questions that I want to leave us with. And we're going to have just a minute at the end of this to uh, meditate on these questions or think them through before we move into communion. But the four questions are this. Number one, where are you flirting with sin? Where are you flirting with sin? I want to encourage you, if you're flirting with sin, confess it to somebody you trust. Receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Hold yourself accountable. Friends, let's not flirt with sin. Second question, right now, do you need to know Jesus as personal or powerful? He is both. He is both. Number three, what or who are you most looking forward to being reunited with when the curse Is finally once and for all reversed. It's coming friends. Jesus is coming back. May it cause within us a longing for him and a longing for the eternal age. And finally, do you today need to obey Jesus rather than just observe Jesus? Wherever you are, Jesus sees you. God sees you. He gave his son. Jesus gave himself for you. Let Jesus speak life, resurrection life into you today.